0: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline and I'm Kristen. And today we're uh, tackling a topic that has been requested by several of our listeners, and that is military spouses. We also want to point out that May 9th is Military Spouse Appreciation Day here in the U.S., so a shout-out to all of our spouses out there, male and female alike. Yeah, and so
0: to kick things off, as we often do on the podcast, let's talk about who we are referring to when it comes to military spouses. Uh, surprise, surprise. It is largely women. Um, a lot of these statistics are coming from the 2012 Demographics Report, For the Department of Defense, which is some scintillating uh, bedside reading, yeah, I must say it's a lot. It's a lot of uh, a lot of percentages, many percentages, so many. And women make up ninety-five percent of military spouses,
1: right? And and military husbands, don't worry, we will not leave you out. But we we just wanted to throw out a few of those stats to uh, get started. But looking at who's married in the military, 50, about 56% of active duty military members are married, which is down from 60% in 1995. And if you look at the gender split, 58% of active duty men and nearly half, 45% of active duty women, are married. Now when you look at intermilitary marriages 6.3 of the Department of Defense's active duty members are in dual military marriages.
0: Yeah, and female soldiers are a lot likelier to marry soldiers compared to male soldiers hmm. marrying other soldiers. So when it comes to ages, not so surprisingly when you consider how young people are generally enlisted into the military, it follows that military spouses, typically wives, are a bit younger as well. Um, the largest proportion of them, 23.5%, are between 26 and 30 years old. And then just under that, 22.8% are 25 years old and younger. But you do have military spouses of all ages. It just so happens that it's a little more front loaded. Yeah, exactly. Um And so, you
1: know, I mentioned that we had gotten more than one request to to talk about military spouses, mostly wives. And and why is that? And, uh, you know, we did get letters from a lot of people talking about some of the issues they faced as a military spouse. But as Krista and I were doing reading of our own, it is so clear that if you are a military spouse, you face a lot of challenges. And a big one, which has also been in the news a lot over the past year or so, is employment.
0: Yeah, and this is something from my civilian perspective I hadn't thought about at all, I, I assumed that oh, military spouse probably issues of deployment, mm-hmm. you know, just living within a, a military structure probably pretty hard, and and we'll get into those issues. But employment is a massive one. Ninety uh, percent, in fact, of military wives in particular are either unemployed or underemployed, and that was coming from a study out of the Military Officers Association of America study that was published in March 2014, and so that 90% represents more than 600,000 women, and on top of that, nearly 5,000 active-duty military families are food stamp eligible.
1: Yeah, and one thing um, that's worth mentioning is that Military spouses, military wives in particular, have to deal with a lot of stereotypes. And one of those stereotypes is that they are lazy or they're somehow freeloaders or they don't want to work or they're opportunists and they just want the benefits that come along with having a spouse in the military. When the reality has a lot more to do with, like Kristen said, the fact that when you're part of a military family, You're going to move a lot, which presents so many problems, including licensing issues. For instance, more than half of active duty military spouses work in fields that require state licensing or certification. And about 72 percent of licensed military spouses have had to renew their license after a cross-country move. And this whole licensing thing is a big deal because it is costly and it's time consuming and often frustrating. Think about if you're a lawyer moving from state to state, you've got to take the bar. How many times?
0: Exactly. And for that reason, almost 60 percent of military wives who were surveyed feared that their partner's active duty status would scare off potential employers who were like, oh, no, you're just going to up and move in six months or less. So we don't want to hire you. So there are, are issues of employment gaps, the frequent job changes. And of course, you know, all of those cross country moves that these military wives are having to deal with in their search for employment. And on top of that, too, there are a lot of educational issues that are preceding this. Um, there are a, a lot of them who only have either a high school diploma, GED, or even less.
1: Right. And just 33 percent have at least some college credit uh, compared to one who have a doctoral degree. And when you look at the military spouses who are searching for work, actively searching for work, um, these people, when they get into jobs, endure frequent employment gaps and earn about 38 percent less than their civilian counterparts because... They're often not able to take advantage of maybe more stable, high-paying jobs where you would naturally, uh, over the course of a few years, rise up in the ranks, get promoted, get raises, all that stuff. If you're moving, you don't necessarily have that opportunity. For instance, um, when I worked in Augusta at the newspaper, there's Fort Gordon there, and one of the uh, newswriters was a military wife. And whenever she and her husband would move, she would get a job at the local town's newspaper. And so that's great. And that's wonderful that she has that training and has that ability to get a job at a newspaper. But on the other hand, you know, if you're moving frequently, you're not going to become the news editor or you're not going to become, you know, enter into a higher paying position.
0: And on top of that, you know, if you're not staying in one place for a certain amount of time, even though tools like social media can certainly help bridge this gap these days. But you can't stick around to build. A professional network. That's mm-hmm. another, you know, making those kinds of face-to-face contacts with people in your field is also important. So that's yet another challenge that a lot of spouses face. And so the Department of Defense offers some very practical advice of, hey, why don't you consider more portable careers such as news writing or marketing, teaching, nursing, you know, the, the, the types of jobs where no matter where you go, there's a good chance that people will need those skill sets. But even though that's very practical advice, the Department of Defense hasn't done necessarily the best job of going beyond just like, hey, well, you know, just get out get out there, kiddo. <laughs> Good luck.
1: Right, yeah. The Department of Defense would tell you that their career advancement programs are great and a wonderful resource, and I'm sure they are. However, um, more than 46% of military spouses report that they are either dissatisfied or very dissatisfied with these DOD sponsored employee assistance programs, while only 12% said the programs actually helped them find a job. And like one of the, one of the articles we read, I think it was from ABC News, was talking to a military wife who was an engineer. So you would think like, oh man, engineer, you can get a great job. Well, you know, if you move to
0: a small town, not necessarily. And we should mention, though, that as of when we're recording this podcast, uh, the White House just announced that First Lady Michelle Obama and her initiative that she's been leading called Joining Forces is launching a new website to help specifically veterans and military spouses with finding jobs, setting up resumes. It sounds sort of like uh, almost like a monster dot com for Uh, military folks. So Mm -hmm. here's hoping that that can be helpful. So hopefully that will perhaps improve these numbers somewhat.
1: Yeah. Well, um, a study in human performance back in 2007 looked at some of the factors that tie into what they call job search self-efficacy, basically your ability to go out and get yourself a job. And they found that, you know, there's some things that are positively related to to your, your success rate. And that's things like current employment status, education level, financial resources, the kind of stuff that you would typically think of. What's negatively related to military spouses being able to find work. Um, and I feel like this is true for a lot of families, not just military families. But it's that whole family responsibility variable. For example, the number of children you have, the financial resources at your disposal. The big one is childcare conflict.
0: You know, can I work but also find someone
1: to take care of my kids?
0: But if we move out of the employment sphere and into more of the home front, one of the, one of the issues that comes up for military spouses is the issue of infidelity, especially when we're dealing with Uh, someone who has an active duty spouse who might be deployed for 12 months at a time. What happens when you are living separately like that? I mean, when when the general Petraeus sex scandal slash affair splashed across all of the headlines, you know that it's sort of the the it sort of embodied this stereotype of the the infidelity happening within military couples.
1: Yeah, it really is uh, a huge stereotype. And um, military spouse Allison Buckholtz talked to uh, some fellow military spouses for Slate back in November 2012. And this is right after the whole Petraeus affair hit the fan. Uh, and everybody was talking about, you know, loyalty both to your country and your military as well as to your spouse. Um, and Anyway, Buckles was saying that most military spouses I've heard from say plainly that marriage is hard regardless of the circumstances, but that the military environment seems to exacerbate the normal tem- tensions that couples face. You know, whether that's money, whether that's children or whether that's, as she says, extracurricular sexual
0: activities. Yeah. And she was talking, too, about how a lot of the military spouses were reticent to talk specifically about that affair. Not so much out of loyalty to the military, but loyalty specifically to Petraeus's wife. Mm-hmm. Because once you get into, you know, if you're living on a base, and you know, you're the, these women are lo- your primary social outlet, and you do form the, the spouses seem to form loyalties just among themselves, mm-hmm. like within their civilian ranks. I thought that was kind of interesting to see. Um, but on on a related note, former military spouse. Kate Suckel, who wrote a book, Dirty Minds, How Our Brains Influence, Love, Sex, and Relationships, talked about this concept called home team versus away team, uh, which she encountered while she was living on a base in Germany. So it's basically like, okay, while your husband's living at home, then that's the home team. And then when he, when he goes away, then he goes to his other secret family.
1: Yeah, basically like he might have, it could be just... Women that he has sex with, or whatever. But it could also be that he has an
0: entire, yeah, like family overseas somewhere. But one thing that wasn't brought up in any of these articles, I will say, is there's no comparison of inf like rates of infidelity Mm -hmm. among military couples versus rates of infidelity among couples wherein there's a lot of business travel. You know what I mean? Or musician who's touring a lot, or whatever it might be, couples who are separated for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm
1: sure the the big influencing factor here is not the military, but uh, the travel, <laughs> whatever that travel is, yeah. whether it is a long business trip or whether it is a deployment.
0: Right. Or, I mean, like, if you are deployed and you're in the military, and I'm sure it could be easy in a way to start a relationship with someone who is also in the military who... You know, might might be experiencing the same kind of mm-hmm. stress, right? Possibly being shot at, possibly, you know, knowing secrets that you wouldn't be able to go home and share with your spouse, right? Well, Sukul says that it's that whole culture of secrecy that makes it easier for people to keep
1: their friends' uh, infidelity a secret. Yeah. So, you know, if your buddy uh, knows that you're cheating on your wife or whatever. Um, you know, he's going to protect that knowledge.
0: Well, and on, <laughs> I don't want to say on a similar note, because it, it, it's definitely not, uh, it's definitely more serious than just basic infidelity. But one thing I was curious about when, when reading about military spouses was how all of these conversations that have been going on about the issue of sexual assault within the military how that relates to the issues that military spouses are facing, because if military spouses are hearing, I'm sure, about these issues of sexual assault within the military, then it the Venn diagram at some point has to overlap. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, coming from the Department of Defense itself, um, they do say that they want to expand legal assistance for military spouses and adult military dependents to be able to file confidential reports and receive the services of a victim advocate and a sexual assault response coordinator if and when abuse happens in the home.
0: Yeah, and just to clarify, when I said those Venn diagrams overlap, I meant more in terms of conversation, uh, conversations about the issue of sexual assault and what to do about that happening among military spouses. I was not trying to imply that eventually military... Spouses will abuse in one way or another their civilian spouses. But in instances when that does happen, as in the case of a woman named Bobby Heron, who is now divorced from a Marine, when those instances do happen, the military also has been slow Mm -hmm. to respond, if at all, when military wives have, you know, reported issues of spousal abuse or Mm -hmm. even spousal rape.
1: Yeah, because there's that. It's kind of, you know, closing, closing ranks. It's it's kind of that that desire to protect, protect our own. You know, there there's there's kind of anecdotally there's attitudes of like, you know, maybe you should just do what's best for your military husband um, and not report this. And so there is a huge push to be able to protect the civilian spouses of military members.
0: Yeah. And it's not only this issue of not reporting. Cases of sexual assault or abuse. But if and when that does happen, similar to sexual assault cases that happen within military ranks, just being shut down, mm-hmm. just not being investigated. And, yeah. you know, there are all these initiatives now largely being led by uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and Barbara Boxer to try to reform this and actually get have some kind of advocacy for sexual assault victims that aren't people within their ranks. Mm-hmm. Um so they're trying to extend that too to civilian spouses. And I mentioned Bobby Heron because she's sort of becoming like the, a public face in a way of the civilian side of the sexual assault issue within the military, because, you know, if it's happening, you know, it, it's not just issues that are happening within barracks, but also perhaps within. You know, people's homes on the base. Right. And she's working with Gillibrand, too, right? Right. She's working with Gillibrand and Barbara Boxer. And she had been uh, repeatedly abused, allegedly, and raped by her now ex-husband. And the Army did nothing. Or I should say the Marines, because he was a Marine. They did really nothing to pursue the case or to separate the husband from Heron. And it wasn't until the senators got involved that all of a sudden, oh, now the Marines are starting to pay attention.
1: Right. And it's because of things like this, um, that there was an article over on spousebuzz.com talking about how military families do need to work together to support service members and the military. But they write, we also need to give military initiatives a chance to evolve and adapt and to speak up when we see something awry. We need to encourage our spouses to do the same, too, regardless of
0: the perceived consequences. So let's talk a little bit more then about the psychological effects of living in these environments. Because as you can imagine, living a a military life or living a life with a military spouse is a bit different than just a run of the mill civilian life. And we'll get into those issues when we come right back from a quick break. And meow, back to the show.
1: So Kristen was just introducing the issue of the psychological and mental health effects that military spouses encounter. And one study looking at this area uh, was back from 2006 in the journal Armed Forces and Society, um, looking at four military lifestyle demands, which were risk of service member injury or death, Frequent relocations, periodic separations, and foreign residents, and the relationships of those four lifestyle demands to the four factors of psychological well-being, physical well-being, satisfaction with the army, and marital satisfaction. They found that the impact of separations, for instance, was negatively related to all four satisfaction areas. So it's that separation that really has a negative uh, mental and emotional impact on military spouses, but the impact of moving was negatively related to satisfaction with the army and fear for soldier safety was negatively related to physical well-being. And closing out those four military lifestyle demands, foreign residents was negatively related to physical and psychological well-being. So these are things that... Uh, military spouses, their service member spouses, and also their primary care physicians need to keep in mind during these tumultuous times of moving and stuff.
0: Yeah. And one study finding that really surprised me came out of the journal Military Medicine in 2008. And it found that military spouses present with mental health concerns, including suicide, at the same rate as service members and the stigma that we often hear about around mental health within the military, you know, reluctance to um, come forward if you are dealing with issues of anxiety, depression, PTSD. That stigma also extends, according to the American Psychiatric Association, to military spouses as well, with 66 percent reporting that they fear seeking assistance would harm the military career of their spouse. They think that mm-hmm. if they come forward and say, I am horribly depressed. This is terrible. Military life is killing me from the inside out that it will then, you know, somehow have a harmful effect on what, what their spouse, their spouse's rank. Yeah. That surprised me too. So you're not only
1: dealing with the isolation of, you know, your spouse being overseas maybe or, or being away, but you're also dealing with that isolation of feeling like you can't reach out. Um, and similarly, the New England Journal of Medicine in 2010 found that a lot of military spouses suffer what they call secondary traumatic stress. Um, basically, that when they analyzed the records of about 250,000 spouses of U.S. active duty soldiers from 2003 to 2006, they found that multiple or prolonged deployments of service members led to a greater risk of depressive anxiety, sleep, and acute stress reaction and adjustment disorders among those service members' spouses. And while spouses of service members who were deployed for up to 11 months presented more frequently at military health clinics um, and received mental health diagnoses at a higher rate than spouses of military service members who were not deployed, it's the spouses of service members who were deployed for 12 months or longer who received the most mental health diagnoses which were at a rate of 20 to 40 percent higher than those without a deployed
0: spouse. See, it's interesting to see the results of these studies that are conducted independent from the military, because there's this massive Department of Defense report, the one that we cited, the the fantastic bedside reading that we cited at the top of the podcast. When you look into what the DOD reports, it, it was actually the exact opposite in terms of deployment. They reported that the longer the deployment was correlated with the higher predictability of the military couple staying together, hmm. which I thought would have been the exact opposite. But they yeah. also sort of underreported unemployment among military spouses. It seems like all of the, the most negative aspects... Or underplayed. Right. A little bit. It would, would
1: well that, I mean that ties into things that we've talked about on the podcast before as far as like, how accurate is self-reporting? Right. And how accurate is self-reporting when the person you're self-reporting to is your employer? Right. Yeah.
0: Or your spouse's employer. Right. Um, but it, just to give a little context to deployment to, to find out how many people are affected by this. of military spouses are separated from soldiers for 12 months or longer, largely due to deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. And even when the soldier might come home and you expect, oh, then that's great, right? Everything's totally fine. Actually, that readjustment period of being home can be even more challenging than the time apart because, as you can Mm -hmm. imagine, hopping right back from a war zone Back home is uh, not so smooth, as we have seen from the escalating rates of suicidality, alcohol abuse, PTSD among soldiers returning back to the home front. And in terms of kids, the Department of Defense reports that most of them cope fine, which, again, grain of salt a little bit, because this is coming from the Department of Defense. I can't imagine the U.S. military be like, the kids are suffering what are we gonna do? Let's bring everyone home. Oh wait, no, we can't do that. Uh, but they did acknowledge that among the oldest kids, apparently a tenth to a fifth, reported serious coping problems that you mm-hmm. see with, you know, behavioral issues, problems with grades in school, etc.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a lot of emotional turmoil.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember when my oldest brother was deployed to Iraq the first time around for yield Persian Gulf War way back when. And even though the casualties for and the length of that war were, it was very small, but still just like the stress level in our household was massive. Yeah. Remember, my mother was always on edge.
1: Absolutely. Well, military husbands, we have not forgotten about you, although according to Career Builder, you're feeling pretty invisible at the moment. An article back in 2012 uh, talked to male military spouses. Um, who basically were saying that they feel really alienated, basically, from the female-dominated spouses clubs, sometimes just called wives clubs, and they struggle to find a community that knows what they're going through. Um, a lot of guys said, you know, I was handed a spouse manual that was pink. Or all the articles out there are telling women what kind of high heels to wear for a homecoming celebration. That doesn't really help me. Um, there's also the issue of that whole gender role reversal, that it's, it's the warrior wife going off shooting the big guns and the husband staying at home changing the diapers. And the idea that that stay-at-home dadness is so hard to adjust to.
0: And perhaps because of those complications of the 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 gender identity of maybe feeling even more isolated as a sometimes lone male military spouse the rates of divorce for uh female soldiers married to civilian male civilians is much higher than when you flip it for the more traditional uh you know male military male soldier married to civilian wife in fact the divorce rate for female military personnel is more than twice as high. Um, and they think that it might be because of the gender issues, but also because women are likelier to marry someone else in the military. And when it comes to civilian husbands, they're also less likely to be employed than military wives. So that probably only compounds all of those stressors that we've been talking about. Even more so. Yeah,
1: as Scott Stanley put it, he's a military family expert and a professor at the University of Denver. Um, People don't even know or understand the male role when it's the wife who's deployed and he said that a lot of these men are sort of swimming in a whole new part of the pool without really knowing exactly where to go or what to do or what sort of support to seek because i mean if you just google military wives there are a ton of websites there's military spouse there's like all this stuff out there for wives to help you not spend too much money at the commissary to help you connect with other military wives, but there's really not a whole lot of stuff out there for dudes.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's even one military husband, in fact, I I don't have his name in front of me, recently started a website called Macho Spouse specifically to help out other military husbands in his shoes because he was like, I don't, you know... All this pink stuff, yeah, and and ladies' parties. I don't know what to do, and and even too. I mean, these are similar issues that come up in conversations of stay-at-home dads,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where if you are taking care of the kids and you want a play date, it's not always so easy mm-hmm. to reach out to military wives because then, uh, um, you know, it might send the wrong message or something. Right. So yeah, so there. I, I think there are more resources now. It's sort of catching up to. The rising role of women in the military. But speaking of resources catching up to different types of military families, uh, one thing we also wanted to look into was how the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell not so long ago and the more recent repeal of the Defense of Marriage Act has impacted LGBT couples in the military, whether or not gay and lesbian military spouses are receiving all mm-hmm. the same kinds of benefits as their straight civilian counterparts. Right. Yes.
1: Yeah, Stephen Peters, who's the president of the American Military Partner Association, wrote about this for Huffington Post. And he talks about how, you know, it's, it's great that Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, but was questioning whether, like Kristen said, are, are the benefits actually catching up to the legislation? Um, because those gay military families aren't always given the same support and benefits that their straight counterparts are getting. But it's worth pointing out that Peters was writing before the Defense of Marriage Act was repealed.
0: Yeah, with the repeal of DOMA, that eliminated the federal distinction between uh, heterosexual couples and same-sex couples. And so now the official line in the U.S. military is that No matter what your coupling looks like, married couples in the military will all receive the same access to the subsidized housing, child care, TRICARE, which is the military's health care. And before this, I mean, this is a giant boon to LGBT families in the military, because before this, you you weren't guaranteed if you were a military spouse that you would be able to live on base with your spouse. You would not receive TRICARE. You would not receive help with childcare and all of these, you know, very important benefits that military families receive and should receive for, you know, the service that they're offering. Mm-hmm. Um, and so DOMA has been huge to kind of, circle, like, I guess, sort of close the gap with don't ask, don't tell, actually enact it, Mm -hmm. you know, and give them the benefits they were missing out on. Although there have been issues, particularly within the National Guard, this was reported on recently in the New York Times, about how on a state by state basis, particularly ones where gay marriage is not legal, there have been issues within the National Guard of issuing ID cards to gay military spouses
1: Right. This was an article in The New York Times that pointed out that nine states, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Texas and West Virginia said that the issuing of I.D. cards violated their state constitutions and would not provide them at National Guard facilities which fall under state control.
0: Oh, but in addition to these kinds of efforts to sort of rectify the situations for LGBT military families that have only until recently been, you know, receiving unequal benefits, if any benefits at all. Um, There are several efforts to support military families, particularly in a time where the military has endured a lot of budget cuts, which has trickled down to military families. I mean, we mentioned earlier that, 5,000 active-duty families are food stamp eligible. Um, and if you are in a military family, even though you might receive a lot of government benefits, that does not mean that you probably aren't living on a pretty tight budget.
1: Right. And at the top of the podcast, Kristen mentioned uh, Joining Forces, which is that national initiative led by the First Lady and Jill Biden uh, to engage society, basically, to help our service members and their families get a leg up, basically, give them the opportunities and the support that they have earned. So they have initiatives that involve education, employment and wellness. Their goals involve bringing attention to the unique needs of America's military families, but also, as they say, uh, to inspire, educate, and spark action from all sectors of society to ensure that veterans and military families have the opportunities, resources, and support that they have earned.
0: I mean, and that sounds fantastic, for sure. And for, I mean, for commissioned officers in the military, the situation is, is a lot better. But you have to remember, too, that these days, a lot of times, the soldiers who are enlisting typically come from lower socioeconomic areas. They are typically not as educated. They don't have as many resources walking into this as someone who is perhaps going straight into college, going to go on that more traditional career path. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and that trickles down to, you know, their spouses and to their families. I mean, a lot of these, uh, couples also have children they're caring for as well. And so these kinds of resources are, are very important to them. I mean, there are even base-wide baby showers that organizations will host just to make sure that military wives have enough diapers and onesies and all of these things because – it's not easy living on a military paycheck. Sure. At all. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, one thing we were discussing uh,
1: uh, regarding the whole employment issue uh, was the fact that when you're moving, it's hard to develop those professional networks that, that can help you get a leg up. Well, a judge who is a military spouse started the Military Spouse JD Network as a basically support and professional network for lawyers who are trying to maintain legal careers while supporting military spouses. So it's not only a support network in terms of like, hey, let's go get a drink and hang out and be friends. It's also literally like a networking uh, support group to help you get a job when you move. And looking from a more general perspective, um, military.com slash spouse has an entire checklist and overview about all the concerns, responsibilities, services, and resources that surround military families, particularly spouses. And militaryfamily.org has scholarship resources. And Kristen mentioned Macho Spouse earlier. The web is, the web address for that is org. if you are a military husband wanting to hang out and play golf with some buddies
0: yeah i mean i think if there's one big takeaway from this episode it's that i think on the over the course of stuff mom never told you we've talked about all different kinds of families and family dynamics and this is this is just another one of them and i think from the outside looking in you, you might not initially be aware of all of the myriad issues that are happening you know within these military homes i mean i i can't imagine relationships caroline are challenging enough i just you know to throw the military into that to throw a war into that to throw just probably living in a more remote area on a fort somewhere uh, i can only imagine how challenging that has to be and how dedicated you have to be to that lifestyle, to your partner, to your family, to make it work. So I cannot
1: wait to hear from our military spouses out there. What issues are you dealing with? You know, does any of the stuff that we talked about ring true? Are you an exception to any of these
0: rules? Yeah, and if there are any uh, LGBT military spouses listening um, who can fill us in on whether or not your needs are truly now being met, as they should be under the letter of the law post, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and DOMA. We also would love to hear from you. Uh, at com is where you can email us or you can tweet us at Momstuff Podcast. And you can also message us on Facebook as well. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. So we've been hearing a lot about our two-parter, on women in video games, and we've got a couple of those messages right now. This one comes from Natalie, subject line, Lady Gamers and the Fallout series. She writes, After listening to part two of Women in Video Games, I was genuinely surprised you didn't touch upon the Fallout series. My man friend actually turned me on to the game as he was a huge fan of PC games as a child. When I started playing Fallout 3 and subsequently Fallout 3 New Vegas, one of the most exciting aspects of the games was that I got to customize my avatar. I could play as male or female and could also choose my race or ethnicity. Being a Hispanic woman, nothing was more exciting than seeing my clearly Latina avatar kicking butt on screen. The game makers went even farther when it came to gender equality, especially in New Vegas. There are various storylines in which you interact with prostitutes and exotic dancers. There are always both male and female characters in these lines of works. I had never before seen a digital magic Mike doing his thing until playing Fallout. There are also plenty of depictions of women in power, female bosses, and women of military rank. There's even a lesbian couple the protagonist interacts with. To top it off, the villains in New Vegas are the only misogynists I can remember in either of the two games. As you can imagine, the series quickly became one of my favorites. Not only are the games well made, but the storylines are compelling and the action is pretty awesome. If you get a chance, I would definitely suggest playing this series. So thanks for the recommendation, Natalie. Okay, well,
1: Lindsay has a letter that makes me want to do a Hulk smash. Um, She writes in to say, I wanted to offer a personal story about being a woman who loves her video games. For me, the sexism I've experienced comes from those outside of the activity rather than within it. My most recent example was when I was serving a couple and happened to mention that I love to spend my Sundays eating pizza, watching football, and playing Madden. The man of the couple and I had a brief, enthusiastic conversation about video games and football, and he said, well, the boys must love you. I laughed and began to walk away, only to hear him lean into his girlfriend and say, that's the kind of woman you want to hook up with, not the kind you want to marry. Oh. Yeah, and to that I say, Lindsay, it's probably because you're adorable and he wanted to comfort his girlfriend in case she was jealous about your exchange about video games. But anyway, she says, I consider myself fairly feminine. I love fashion, my makeup and baking, but I also love video games, comic books, and I'm a martial arts instructor and competitor. People often get hung up on the more masculine activities I enjoy, making comments to some effect that I am less suitable for a long term relationship because of them. The fact that I'm a black belt receives similar reactions. I've had men who were hitting on me physically move away when I mention what I do. I've also had men and women ask me if it is hard for me to find a guy. The assumption is a man would not want to be with me because I could beat him up. Again, overall, I find little sexism within the activities I participate in that are traditionally more masculine and far more judgment outside of them. The worst part is that the assumptions aren't about me as an individual, but about my value as someone's future wife. So I'm sorry you have to deal with that, Lindsay, but thank you for writing in.
0: And thanks again to everyone who's written in to us. Momstuff@discovery.com is where you can email us. And if you want links to all of our social media presences, every single one of our podcast blogs and videos, there's one place to go, and it's StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.